Wellness Force Radio. Feelings are essential, but they can't dictate our actions. We literally infect each other with our emotions. We came here for a special purpose. Let the purpose unveil itself. Knowing without doing is the same thing as not knowing. They're not just trackers. I'm going to wear this and it's going to help me do the right thing. Wellness Force Radio, episode 122, with author and holistic health and human potential expert, Ronnie Landis. If we properly nourish ourselves with whole foods and high-quality, highly mineralized foods, we have enough superfoods in our diet, like in a superfood smoothie or something, and then we have certain detoxification in our lifestyle, we're drinking enough high-quality water to dilute, then we're stacking the odds in our favor. There's a lot of nuances and a lot of strategies you can do, but what can the basic person do right now to just take care of themselves in this crazy world? What's up, my friend? It's your host, Josh Trent, and welcome back to another episode for your weekly access to global experts in all things wellness as we discover the physical and emotional intelligence we need to live life well. On this episode, we're talking with my good friend, fellow podcaster, published author, and health entrepreneur, Ronnie Landis. Besides sharing a podcast studio with myself and Wellness Force Radio, Ronnie is one of the world's leading advocates for raw foods, superfoods, and plant-based nutrition. His work focuses on educating his audience on the benefits of a high raw plant-focused lifestyle for optimizing body, sharpening the mind, and expanding the human spirit. I know you're going to love this episode, and if you've ever found yourself being labeled or identified with a food camp, this is going to give you the feather ruffling that you may not know you even need because there is an increasing access to a variety of foods right now. We live in a very abundant time. And I think this luxury of what camp do I belong to? Am I a CrossFitter? Am I a vegan? Am I a paleo Luddite? We get to just let these labels go. Because I think sometimes they hold us back in ways we're not even aware of. Like, I can't eat this food because it doesn't align with my identity of who I am. Can we please take a deep breath? and just peel off all these labels. Well, we're definitely going to go there on this show. Now, in our last episode, we talked with Dr. David Minkoff about our soil quality. But how do we make sure we actually receive the majority of nutrients that our unique biology needs to thrive? We'll talk about raw, vegan, paleo, all in the same conversation, and why innovations in the food and shipping industries have made food more available, but there's unintended consequences that have come along with this convenience. I mean, not only has the way we process food damaged the nutritional integrity, but it also takes time for that food to reach our plates, which diminishes the health benefits we once received. In this episode, the truth about nutrients from one of the most sought after speakers on nutrient quality, we're going to find out the foods that make sense for our individual body, how to make wellness a priority and devote our energy and resources to the things that really build our health. And when we actually get closer to a natural whole foods diet, how we can identify the pieces of nutrition that are helping us or holding us back. Ronnie and I also have a really great discourse about where we put our energy in life and the people we bring into our space. All right, let's step in to this in-person and in-depth conversation with one of my favorite guys in the health and wellness world, Ronnie Landis. I am having the pleasure of sitting here with Ronnie Landis, someone who I've come to know as a really close friend, somebody I really respect in wellness and health. He's a peak performance coach, integrative nutritionist. He's also a human potential specialist. We're going to talk today about something so right on time, and it's the truth about nutrients. It's how do we understand with all the masses of information out there, what are the things we can actually trust? So Ronnie, so glad you're coming on the show, man. It's such a pleasure to be here. I've been wanting to be on the show for a while. I respect your work. I respect your platform, the caliber of guests that you have on. I listen to your podcast and 
It's just an honor to be here. And we've interviewed some of the same people that we both love and respect. And I think people are going to feel the same way about you that I do when they're done listening to the episode. So I want to dive right in, man, these nutrients and the myths that are out there. You have been encapsulated in this world of raw food and holistic living for many years. So people might come across you now, we'll link your stuff in the show notes, and they might be like, oh, well, Ronnie's got it all figured out. But it was not like that for you for your whole life. And it's still not like that, And by it's the still way. not like that, it's right? constantly but transforming. People see you, though, and they see sure. the energy you're putting out there. So when you were 18, you were a martial artist. Tell us about that, man. Give us like a quick snapshot of your hero's journey. Yeah. We're all going through this hero's journey all the time. So take us to that moment when you were an athlete and you had some injuries and just walk us through this origin of hero story. Totally. So when I was four, I was born into martial arts. When I was four, obviously I wasn't born at four, but when I was four, <laughs> I was um, I was enrolled in martial arts. And I feel like it was part of my dharma, part of my kind of my purpose in this human incarnation, as I like to say, is to be a warrior. I, I was just, that was just, that's just who I am. And so I was started martial arts when I was four years old. The first conscious memory I have is of a movie called Enter the Dragon. Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee, yeah. And that's literally the first memory I can remember consciously as a, as a human being. And that image of a superhero, a real life superhero was imprinted upon me and that archetype has guided me my whole life. So I've been a martial artist. I've been a basketball player. I've been a competitive athlete in both of these sports and a fitness enthusiast. And so I was paralleling two professional careers um, in basketball and mostly in Taekwondo at that time. And I was competing internationally. I ran a martial arts school. I was teaching six days a week, training three times a day for six days a week and competing nationally at that time. And my goal was to make the 2012 Olympics in Taekwondo. And I had a team around me helping me. And so when I was 18, I started to have my first kind of knee issues. And when I was 19, I had my first surgery. It was overtraining and excessively pushing myself. And that was the first... I guess, limitation of my physical body that I had ever experienced. Yeah. And that's when my body started pushing back and letting me know that I had to adjust my approach to my goals and to my, my life. And I had to deal with my emotions and my psychology differently than just going to the gym and working out because that was stripped of, that was revoked. Who was supporting you then? When you had the injury, what systems of support were there for you? I would say I relied largely on my own, my own faculties in terms of like reading books, in terms of watching videos or outsourcing different information that I could find on rehabilitation. I mean, I had a rehabilitation specialist helping me with corrective exercises. I had the support of my mom at the time financially helping or with insurance. Whatever yeah, you're 18, right? Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I had a place to live. Um, and then I had my support of my martial arts coaches who basically the way they supported me was keeping me out of the gym. That's what they basically did. They're like, look, like if you keep showing up and trying to work out right now, we're going to beat you up. Like, you know, this, this is the tutelage that I grew up with, with like being surrounded by hardcore Koreans and Asians and um, that this was how it's they incredible were. discipline It's incredible discipline. And um, the discipline at that point was instead of disciplining my to do more, I had to discipline myself to do less. Mm. And that became part of the struggle. But what's beautiful about that is it gave me an opportunity to practice the more philosophical and mental side of martial arts, which is really, to me, the bigger 
part of why we master the physical application, the physical side of it. We're not in a world where we have samurai trying to decapitate us. Like that's <laughs> yeah. that my master had to make. Even that. though it might feel like it sometimes, yeah. we're not there. Yeah, yeah, we're not. We're not there. We're not having to get into street fights all the time um, or ever, really, for most people. Yeah, it's it's really the physical mastery and the discipline to push past the resistance and the barriers is a mental and emotional discipline more than anything. And so that aided me looking back like 12, 13, 13-ish years later, looking back on that, I realized that it was the emotional muscle. It was the faith that I had to cultivate to know that I could get through this because even though it doesn't seem like that big of a deal to a lot of people at that point in my life, it was everything because my entire world was being stripped, Mm -hmm. my goals, my dreams. I didn't know what I would do beyond that point. That goal was big enough to consume my entire life. But beyond that goal, I couldn't see very far. So it was almost like it allowed me to avoid projecting into the next 10 years i could just look at like 2012 like okay that's everything and then once that happens i'll have it figured out oh my gosh this new layer of purpose arose and one of the ways that you healed Mm -hmm. was through food yeah so i see your work now everything you're doing with alchemy we're going to talk about your book too the inner alchemy youthening program but man food has been such an integral piece of your power your healing and who you are Mm -hmm. and so that's why i'm stoked to have you on today to talk about the truth about nutrients, what's, yeah. what we can really trust, because I trust you. There's a lot of people out there that are publishing books and they're confusing people. And so today we're going to get some clarity on this. What was the clarity you received in your healing? You're 18. Yeah. You got clarity then. Yeah. What did that look like? Great question. So to bridge that, I started to explore different alternatives to my lifestyle. Something became clear that my lifestyle was not conducive for where I wanted to go. And I had to change some things. So when I changed the way that I exercised, then I started to look into food. And then I realized like, wow, the way that I'm, I'm being raised on a standard American diet, it's all processed food. It's excessively cooked food. It's in, there's no mention of organic anything. It's pretty much like all processed food diet. And so once that distinction became clear and I became aware of real food, whole foods, um, you know, we're not even getting close to like raw food or vegetarianism at this point. It's just, just like real food. It's just yeah. like literally getting a handle on what organic even means and and starting to slowly go down that rabbit hole. It was for performance reasons mostly. And then eventually I started to feel the effects of my body. Eventually I started to watch more YouTube videos. I got into Paul Check's work early on and then I started to kind of go down Sean Croxton. We, we mutual kind of... Um, early inspiration at the time yeah. that kind of I became aware of people like that. And then it started to invoke a curiosity. And then I just played with it. I, I immersed myself in it. And then eventually, and we're talking about a couple of years along. So 18 to like 25. 18 to 20. I'd say 18 to 23. Yeah. I um, mean, by the way, at 23, I had another knee injury on the other knee through basketball training. A lot of details within this. But the point is that about four or five year period I started to migrate away from the standard American approach and even like, okay, it went from like organic to whole foods to grass fed to raw dairy. And then eventually what I believe was more aligned for my soul signature in my path was um, vegetarianism. Mm. 
and, and veganism at the time and, and raw foodism. So that was a whole paradigm shift. I, I had heard of vegetarians, but I didn't know they really existed. Sure. You know? <laughs> like at the time, like yeah. I had heard about such a thing, but I wasn't really too like invested in it. It was almost like a folk story or something. What I'm hearing from you too is like you used food as a vehicle yeah, for healing. Totally. Did you use the food to actually heal the injuries? Because yep. I want to talk to you in just a minute about like yep. how do we recognize what kind of eating style is best for us. But yep. did you use that food to heal the knees? What else was yep. going on that you were healing with the food? Yeah. So leading up to that, there was a moment where my destiny shifted and it was exactly that. So there's a natural progression. I changed out. I started just shifting over, trying out different things. I got into um, raw food, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, fermented foods, just that basic level whole food kind of program. And I started playing with it. I got into green vegetable juicing. I started to feel better. And then the moment came where I just had this thought that I want to see what happens if I do entirely raw food. Like it was such a paradigm shift. And I started hearing about such miraculous healings, weight loss stories, consciousness changes. I mean, the most incredible transformations I'd ever heard of from such a thing. And I was just like, wow, this is the thing. This must be the thing that I've been uh, missing my whole life. And everybody like this is the thing everybody's missing, right? So I just had the idea like, okay, I wonder what will happen to me if I just do this all the way. And so I just went 100% raw vegan, got heavily into green juicing and um, got into barefoot grounding and just kind of getting out of the, the rubber sole cast that was like kind of holding my ankle hostage like a, like a cast. Yes. Getting more mobility, uh, an elongation of my spine, those kind of things. The moment that really snapped me into alignment or just changed everything for me that healed me, I was scared to go running for a couple of years. Now, I had been running five miles a day every day for years and I loved it. It was cathartic. But for a couple of years, I was just very nervous about it. So I wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like this day it was like I just forgot that I was ever in pain. And I just found myself going to this trail that I had gone to growing up for years. There was this five mile stretch up in the hills. And I find myself almost unconsciously doing what I did as a teenager. I just put on my shoes, take off my shirt and go running in the sun. I come back after this five mile run and I kind of like the endorphins settle down and mm -hmm. I come back into like just normal awareness. And I, I kind of shake my head. I was like, wait a minute. I kind of just look back and like, wait, what? just happened like I just ran five miles and I started to get an awareness of my body I'm bouncing around I'm checking my knees I'm like well, what's going on and mind you for five years prior to that I was icing both of my knees every single day mm. after workouts so how long had you been eating in this natural food way this raw vegan way by the time you got that to that by run? that time for for raw food it was 30 days 30 days it was 30 days so yeah. this is interesting because there's so many people that are trying to find what diet is right for them psychologically and metabolically, totally. right? They're, they're trying to explore what foods work for my body. And there's mm -hmm. a ton of information out there. I'm curious, at that moment, how did you know what to trust? 
How did you know that it was right? I just for trusted you? my I just trusted my experience. Like yeah. that and that's what shifted me because I realized that I was completely out of pain and I had become accustomed to the pain. And this is what I think most people are dealing with is that they become accustomed to their own discomfort and their own pain. And instead of becoming available for the solution to to kind of enter into their life, they um, I think that they just cope with it. And that's what we all do, right? We have coping mechanisms. We medicate and sedate ourselves. Yeah. Um, food is more probably the biggest culprit of that. And that was a moment where I realized that not only was I out of pain, but I did something that proved to me that I forgot I was ever in pain to begin with. Oh my gosh, this is bringing up something for me that Paul Check said. He said, real health and wellness is when you forget you're in a body. It's when you forget you're in a physical body. That's wow. real health and wellness. And that's what I'm hearing from you. And I know someone's listening and they're like, okay, how do I actually know what specific diet is right for me? Because we understand like from raw vegan to paleo, Mediterranean, there's no such thing as the ultimate diet totally. or the perfect human diet, right? Because we're all metabolically unique in the same way that our thumb is. So when we look at your path and we understand that everything has seasonality, yes. sometimes in life, we want to put on muscle. Sometimes in life, we just want to have like really better digestion. It just becomes aware of us that we're like, hey, I need better digestion right now. What was the beginning stages of clarity after you had that 30 days mm -hmm. that made you want to continue in that raw vegan lifestyle? Because I think you may be triggering some of the people that are listening right now. Awesome. But you know what? It might be a fit for them. Yeah. Because I've completely removed myself from being in just a paleo camp mm. or just a certain kind of eating camp. I don't believe in it anymore. I do believe that we all deserve real nutrients and real food and there's ways to find what nutrients are best for us. But your clarity, like what was the clarity that made you continue to be the raw vegan? That experience was the evidence, right? But it wasn't like I was trying to be something. It was just that I was following a path. I've gone through my own process of dogma and then, and then undogmatically stripping myself from certain dietary camps and this has been a big theme for me. So it's an interesting conversation that I'm, I'm definitely uniquely qualified to unpack for anybody out there because I see, I see the neurosis in human beings. Like there's a psychological issue in society where people are neurotically boxing themselves into any manner of camps. And this, you see this in the scientific materialism world. You see it in the diet world. You see it in, you see it everywhere. Actually, it's present everywhere. If you pay enough attention, it's like the junior high, high school click kind of thing where everyone has their little club. We want to belong. We, we all want to belong, want to belong so, in some way. Yeah, yeah. But it's like this bipartisan, it shows up as this bipartisan kind of like Repub Republican, Democrat, like we're better than you kind of thing mm. and i think where you and me meet is that we're not really judging each other's value or integrity or character based on our eating habits i think that's more of a mundane mook point to judge somebody yeah i think it, the content of somebody's character is the best way to discern but then more back to your question my clarity came from what is my intention so this is how i kind of look at it now is like when I help somebody on that path, because I've had to tell people that at certain situations, I, you know, for example, there's one story I have that I think might unify some people listening. I have a, a friend of mine who is a PETA activist and, you know, that people know what that is. Yeah. They spray paint people that are wearing yeah. fur and yeah. And yeah. by the way, I understand why they do that. Do I agree with the actions? No, I think there's a better way to get your point across, but I do understand. I'm willing yeah. to understand both sides. Yeah. But anyways, the point is, 
I know this. She is hardcore vegan militant. Like she is, she will die by the sword of her vegan path. And I and I get it. I I totally get it. And we're friends, right? Her husband though is like kind of like closet. Like he's not really like he gets it, but he's just her husband. He's not trying to do that. And I coached him years ago, and I told him like, hey, like you know, I I don't like to tell people to do things behind people's backs, but given your situation. I think, you know, if you're going to have fish, like you should do it. And this is the quality. This is where you should source it. Yeah. And you should probably just keep it to yourself because you have a unique situation that That's you're not so going to win. so hilarious that it's, you, you yeah. he had to hide it from her. Yeah. Like talk about dogma. Okay. D- totally. This is, I'm so glad we're having this conversation. Mm-hmm. We are going to talk about nutrients in a minute, yeah, but yeah. like, let's go on this because this is important. Absolutely. And it was just kind of an intuitive read. I just felt like his, because for him, the diet thing isn't the end all be all. He just wants a basic level of health and, and harmony. And I'm just like, look, dude, like, here's the balance point. Like, I don't really recommend for you to do terrestrial land based kind of, uh, and there's a little bit of debate on that, it, but it was an intuitive read for him. And I was just like, I just think for you, like, it's just going to be better for you to do that. I think emotionally and mentally, it's just going to be easier. And you should probably just let that be something by yourself because you're going to create more stress, unfortunately. Man, there's so many things that play into our decision-making power. And one of them is understanding just how food feels when it's in our body. Right. You know, h- how it actually feels when we're digesting it. What gives us the most energy? Because there's a lot of things that get in the way of yeah. us feeling the way we feel. And I'm yeah. thinking about like real nutrients. Real nutrients are something that is delivered through food. Obviously, there's macronutrients and micronutrients. What's your definition of nutrients? There's obviously like a scientific Mm. definition out there, but how would you define nutrients? I would say it has to be bioavailable, meaning that it's biologically available for you to digest, to process, assimilate, and uptake into your body to make use of it. So that would be the first thing that comes to mind, whether that's in a food form, that's in an organic supplemental form, that comes from a a genuine source, not necessarily in a laboratory, that's in a powdered superfood, that's in a tonic herb or whatever, wherever it's coming from, it's got to be available and assimilatable to your system. And that is a bit of a riddle in our world. We have a huge supplement industry that is just like, it's just confusing people to no end. And a huge food agricultural system that is is very much the same way. And on top of that, there's a lot of products when people walk into a Whole Foods even right. that aren't really that great for you. Yep. But they're in a health store, so they might think, oh, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. But we understand like raw, fresh food has life inside Ex- of it. Right, exactly. Okay, so there's life inside of this food. And there are ways, I believe, to ethically harvest animals that are raised in a humane way where it still has life in the meat and you respect the meat as well. And so when we look at nutrient absorption, there first has to be life in the nutrients. Yep. It has to li- have life there's got to, yeah, there's got to be some life force energy. That's, that's kind of, and that's so, that's like when I came from the raw food angle, I started studying the history of raw foodism and where this came from and all the great pioneers and like the, the Gerson therapy, like in, in back into the twenties and thirties and the, the great like underground cancer healing centers that were totally underground 
because of certain, you know, legalities. Is this the people that did coffee enemas and they healed people? Oh, yeah. This in like gra- yeah. wheatgrass enemas. Like in yeah. Whitmore All the things that are currently accepted as social norm now, totally. they were doing way the back then. The weirdest stuff ever back then. But yeah. this is the stuff that was curing people. And I started studying all this. And so that's why all these conversations are so normal to me now. Like fasting, like water fasting, dry fasting, juice fasting. All this stuff is so normal to me because I become accustomed to it. And I kind of find a lot of pride in kind of just flushing some of these concepts out for people that may not be aware of it. Because one thing I'll just say about this as we as we move forward is that the clarity for me 10 years later in this field is that in order to find what works for you, you have to be willing to ask yourself a set of questions to kind of guide yourself. So like for me, it's like, what are my ethics? The reason I'm a vegetarian is because of my personal ethics. And I don't impose my ethics on anyone else. It's not really, I'm not really that interested in what somebody else eats for dinner. I mean, I'm, I'm interested to the point that I care about them, but yeah. it's not, it doesn't have an effect on me and my choices. That's the most important thing. So for me, the environment is extremely important for me. I know if I don't have to, I'm not going to personally slaughter an animal. So I already know like, okay, so I know for me, that's telling me something about myself and what my values are. So for me, vegetarianism and high raw foodism feels great um, philosophically and physically. That may not be the same case with somebody else. And I fully accept that. And if that is the case, let's find out what works for you best to feel good about yourself, that you that you can love yourself and you feel in vibrant, optimized health. This is why I respect you so much, because you're pulling this narrative in the right direction of progress. Right. There are people out there that are dealing with health problems, okay? Chronic disease. Uh, leaky gut, dysbiosis, so many things that are affecting our health. It's not about attaching to one thing, as I've heard you say. It's about accepting and understanding and going down that learning path of, hey, what actually works for me? And so when we look at this absorption factor, there's oxidative stress. You cut an apple, it turns brown, right? Right, right? So, So with vegetables, there's always been this burning question, I think, in the industry, like how long when you harvest a vegetable, is it actually going to give you nutrient quality? And with fruits, when we cut fruits open, how long will they give us nutrient quality once they're exposed to oxygen? Yep. Like, What's that nutrient delivery system look like? It depends on, on the method, I guess, of administration. What I mean by that is, are you juicing it? Are you cutting it up and putting it in a salad? Has it been refrigerated? And then also, what is the travel expenditure? Where are you sourcing the food uh, upon entry? So, for example, if you go to Whole Foods or some grocery store, the produce that you get there likely could be sitting there for a few days at, at best. And then there was a travel situation where trucks and and cars or whatever had to travel for days maybe or planes to bring the ship over that food in and once you pick a fruit or a vegetable yeah or a nut or a seed there is a there is a duration of expenditure there is an oxidation that occurs from removing it from its its uh, system tell us about the oxidation because i think a big question for me has been like well if i do take in nutrients 
how long do I have to eat them? Should I eat all these foods that I bought in a certain time window? I see all these meal prep people on Instagram. Yeah. Do you see this? Where they're like, mm-hmm. I'm going to meal prep for seven days. Like, tell me how your salad exactly. tastes on day seven. Exactly. Totally. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. What are you doing, right? So yeah. go there with us. I mean, paint a picture for us on a practical level okay. for someone listening around nutrients absorption from vegetables and fruit for time span uh, once it's exposed to air. Yeah. Well, one of the things that just came up to my mind is vitamin C. So if you take like an orange or something and you cut into it, vitamin C, I definitely know for sure that the metal of the knife actually, it it disorganizes the vitamin C molecule and it, it can oxidize it. And so that like there's certain nutrients that are very sensitive and very volatile. So it's not that somebody has to become a biochemist and figure it all out. It's like a probability field. We're stacking the probabilities in our favor and our body will do what it needs to do. It's not that you need to know every single iota of this. I, In fact, I recommend people don't do that because I want to avoid like neurosis. It's mm-hmm. about your body's own intelligence. However, there are certain rules of thumb that are going to ensure that you get the highest quality. So ceramic knives are the best. I definitely haven't always done this, but it's a great investment. This is kind of reminding me about certain key things that that um, have been out of my awareness for a while. Yeah. Ceramic knives are key because it doesn't have the metallic coating and it doesn't have that, that electrical shock, if you will, to certain nutrients or to the, the cellulose structure of that vegetable. What about blending, though? We have Vitamixes yep. and, and Ninja Blenders and all these things. There are people that believe only in juicing yep. and there are people that believe that you need the fiber. I'm in the fiber camp. I think it works better for me, yep. but there are some people that operate really well with just juicing. I like both. What about the blades from the blenders? Is that oxidizing? Is that taking away the nutrients from the it food? It does. Yeah. So like there's, there's um, it's kind of, it's an interesting conversation because there's pros and cons, right? And I think accepting the pros and cons in life as a whole is a really good way to go to alleviate yeah. perpetual suffering. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's kind of my approach to this. So yes, if I blend up uh, let's say if I make a green smoothie and I blend it up, there's going to be potential um, cons in the form of like, yes, I am creating a form of oxidation and my intention is to drink that after or to consume it within a certain window, let's say a 30 minute or hour window at the most from when I blend it. I'm not going to leave that in my refrigerator because it will oxidize the longer you leave it out. So, so 30 to 60 is really the window. 30 for... to 60 is a safe window. This is what I've always believed. We see these juices in stores that have been on shelves for five days. Yep. They're either pasteurized or they've had some cold pressing technology. But what I'm hearing from you though is like we get about 60 minutes after we blend something to really take it so down. So that's like if you take the blender, then when it comes to juicing, there's different types of juicing methods. So the juicer that I have, the TriBest, it's a slow juicer that that works on a centrifugal method. It's not it doesn't have blades. It doesn't have any metallic blades. It actually presses it's a cold press. It presses the the um the cucumber or the celery or the lemon instead of um blending it. So there's no real heating. It's just pressing the fiber and the juice comes out naturally. So that's what you see typically. It's just there's more of an industrial level process going on when you see those cold pressed juices that are out for a couple of days. I don't personally consume something that's been out that long. That's the distinction. 
I want to put across is that that there's if you're going to do juicing, doing it a cold press method is going to be your best. But but same, it's the same kind of ethic as that. Yeah, I'm going to drink that as soon as possible. So for people that are trying to meal prep and plan out their week, should we be looking at like a 48 to 72 hour window? of not having our nutrients go past then? Because really, what are we eating at that point? I don't really believe in that. Now, I do understand that people have busy lives and it may not be as important to them or they're just in a transition place. I would say that organize your life, prepare like a squirrel the best you can, find any avenue that you can to get the freshest food available to you on a daily basis. And some people might have to get creative depending on what their lifestyle is. Some people might have to rearrange their priorities um, in order to achieve that. This is a great point because when someone starts to readjust their life, they're going to learn things about themselves that they actually didn't need. Yeah. So they're going to partition money exactly. from, from Netflix or they're going to partition yeah. money from this area and put it towards healthier food. So there is a problem, which there's no way we're going to tackle it on this show, but it is the policy levels in government that are holding people back from getting affordable, clean, healthy food. However, we do have certain choices that we can make. One of those is understanding how we oxidize food. Mm -hmm. If we're a slow, medium, or fast, you talk about this in the book. There's a chapter in this book where Ronnie writes about understanding exactly what are the nutrients that are best for us? How do we oxidize? What is the rate of oxid of oxidization? Right. And, and it's funny, five years ago, um, I got certified as a metabolic typing advisor with Will right. Wolcott. Mm -hmm. And I remember them talking about this. Are you a protein type? Are you a mixed type? And I think they were touching on something that you possibly wrote about in the book. Can you tell us about this oxidization rates and, and how nutrients play a role in that? Sure. So everybody's metabolism is unique. And this is probably the most important most important thing to understand about one's own unique, um, there's a, uh, what's the book called? Biological Individuality. Mm -hmm. That's the book, right? So that's kind of like one of the original works on that's led into metabolic typing and in this conversation. So everybody's metabolism is unique to them. Some people run on a fast oxidation rate. They're fast oxidizers mean that they just have a fast metabolism or what we call a fast metabolism. Their thyroid is more hyper. And so their sympathetic nervous system, they run like a race car. Like I'm definitely one of those people. I can deal with more stress. My thyroid is more efficient. So I don't, I'm not prone to gaining weight at all. Mm. If anything, I have to put on more muscle. And thank goodness I've learned how to do that. I have the opposite problem. <laughs> right. So yeah. then so then there's there's um low oxidative types, which is basically like it's, there's a lot of interesting details that are flooding my mind, so I'm just trying to line it up. But then that that also plays into adrenal health that plays into a lower thyroid function and it plays into metabolic uh issues pertaining to sympathetic overload. Mm. So somebody can't deal with as much stress. And so these types typically, from my experience, can't do as much stimulants or don't. Their system doesn't really metabolize as like ca coffee as much or doesn't do as well on it. So there's certain nuances to that. But the basic idea to this conversation is that some people thrive in particular macronutrient realms like high fat, low carb. Some people do better with higher carb, lower fat, moderate protein. And this is an important distinction because in our nutrition world, there is 
so many different ideologies in in like there's almost like a seasonal promotion to mm-hmm. different like okay this is the ketogenic season sure this is where everybody goes high fat now let's eat 30 bananas a day totally right? whatever yeah. it is it's way and then it's like high carb this and that and yeah. the interesting thing about that is there's truth to all of it um not so much the banana thing that's a whole nother subject <laughs> i do not promote cavendash okay genetically good. engineered bananas which are environmentally destructive okay anyways <laughs> um but like just in terms of the confusion around what is what is kind of the best, I guess, macronutrient uh, way to go? And it's more like the understanding of how we know yeah. if we are a slow, mid, or fast, yeah. and then how should we be tailoring our diet in that accord? Perfect. So, so from that perspective, if you if you know, and you can run experiments on yourself, that's probably the best way to go about this. But the basic idea is that if you if you tend to run more as a is a high oxidizer mean you have a faster metabolism you typically have a leaner frame you have a higher thyroid function then a higher fat type of diet is going to work better intermittent fasting is definitely going to be much easier blood sugar is going to be more stable quicker you know depending on the alignment of your 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 diet and that type of person will typically be able to do better on a lower carb type of approach if you are a lower metabolizing in that category then you're going to need a different approach like you might actually thrive more on slow burning carbohydrates um and that can look different depending on what your modality is. So for example, if you are in the cook food world, then there's going to be different options available. If somebody wants to do more raw food, then there's different options available to them there. And then you just kind of figure out how you want to piece it together for yourself. And the optimal timing of food matters as well. I mean, so we explored the optimization of how we oxidize the foods. Right. But what about the timing of when we eat? So there's a window when we've worked out and we're, mm-hmm. you know, low glycemic, our liver's been emptied if we've had a hard workout, and then obviously our muscle glycogen is low. So when we look at the timing of when we take in nutrients, what have you seen be effective? Like mm-hmm. what's out there mm-hmm. that's a common myth that most people think is true that you know through your practice and your lecturing is not true? Share that with us. I definitely feel like the calorie myth is totally out of court at this point. And the calorie myth, that means that if we take calories in and we work out, it's like calories in, calories out. So we just burn off the calories that we've taken in and then everything is going to be fine. And that is a very superficial idea. And that's based on a processed food type of diet anyways, like because there's no mention of the things that actually build the human frame and make every every biological mechanism function, which is the nutrients in the food, which is the micronutrients, the phytochemicals, the enzymes, the probiotics, the prebiotics, the minerals, all of that kind of thing, the antioxidants, those are the things that actually make everything function. Fats, sugars, protein, well, I'll get to that in just a minute. Fat and sugar as a subject, those are energy sources primarily. They're not really building block material, they're energy sources. So if you can think of it that way, then you can understand like, okay, from a mitochondrial level, which is the energy depot of your body, that's how you're producing energy. And if you have fat, it's it's producing a longer sustainable type of energy. It's kind of like putting a log in a fire and it'll burn longer, right? If you have the right kinds of fat. Such a good analogy. But if you have like sugar, for example, like straight sugar or like even like 
fruit sugar, that's like putting a fire, or maybe if you have longer chain sugar, it's like putting a magazine or a book in the fire, and it like either sparks, it gives you that, ooh, that spark, but then if you don't have anything to back it up, the spark drops and then you actually can have a blood sugar dip and there's some nuances to that and then protein this is an important distinction that i want to make protein is not actually an energy source for the body and a lot of people think that they get energy from protein what you get from protein or amino acids is you get more neurological function because a lot of those amino acids are precursors for neurotransmitters like serotonin and GABA and dopamine and things like that. So you might feel a boost in your brain because the, the chemical hormones are actually working better. It's a blood sugar balancing mechanism. I mean, if you have blood sugar dips, then protein can help balance that out. So obviously you're going to feel better. And then it's construction material for the physical frame, for the musculature, repairing torn tissue um, and things of that nature. But it doesn't actually produce energy. If we have too much protein that the body is incapable of metabolizing, then the, the, the undigested protein can get redistributed in certain areas of the body. It can clog up the kidneys. That's why we know that kidney disease is mostly associated with undigested protein. Mm. So it's just there's some of these little nuances that I think are really important. What about gluconeogenesis? Like mm-hmm. there's this reuptake and how things are assimilated. Like if we're eating a certain way, for example, like the Eskimo, right. most of their diet is fat. I'm sure there's the Katavans. There's other people across the planet that have a really specific diet. Some people mm-hmm. eat 90% carbohydrates and mm-hmm. they function really well. Yep. How much geography plays into how we eat? I, I think it plays into the epigenetics and the epigenetic factors of cross or generation by generation, like our grandfather and grandmother's generation plays larger into our development than our mother and our, our mother and our father's does. It kind of skips over. So I think that has a huge part in it. I think also not just culturally on a physiological level and what's available from a survivalistic level, meaning like what's what we can procure from our immediate environment, but also what shapes our belief system and our paradigm is very important because I know you're big into Dr. Joe Dispenza's work and different people that work on the psychological mastery realms. And when we apply the principles of nutrition and physical health, we have to also talk about where is our paradigm. A lot of times we get into these rigid approaches because our paradigm gets mapped out based on a particular dogma. And so that part of the conversation has always been really fascinating to me in terms of how is our dogma affecting our genetics as well? Hmm. This is powerful because it also stems into what worked for me in the past 20, 30, maybe 10 years ago will not work for me today because I'm biochemically different today than I was. For example, when I was in my 20s, I'm 37. When I was in my 20s, I could pretty much eat almost anything that I wanted because I was doing so much activity. But now that I've transferred into, you know, running a business and doing interviews and all these different things, my movement times are more snacks. Like I'll go out for a walk, but it's not as intensive weight training as I used to do. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that I have followed suit with my eating patterns, right? Like I won't eat the kinds of foods that I ate 10 years ago. So when we look at people who are changing their habits, someone is doing something and they've been maybe applying an old paradigm and it's not working now. What are the ways that they can identify it's not working? Obviously Mm -hmm. it could be, you know, their weight gain, but is there something else? Is there, is there another way that people can just understand like, Hey, something's not working. Yeah, that's an incredible question. 
what comes up for me immediately is the reset, the power of the reset. So one of the great things that I learned through raw foodism is, and just juice cleansing in general, is actually to allow yourself to reset. It's a metabolic reset that's necessary. One thing I have learned for sure in the nature of disease and in in health revival is that we have to stop what we're doing in order to actually figure out what's working or not. And this works in business. Sometimes we have to actually stop putting out fires and step back and get a breather and actually evaluate objectively, okay, what's what appears to be going on here? Because sometimes we're so close to what we're doing, we're like a fish in water. And you can't tell a fish about water because it's, it's like... It's so immersed in its environment that it doesn't even see what's obvious to somebody looking on the outside. And if somebody is overweight, they may not even see it. If somebody has a chronic acute um, disease, they may not be capable of, de- of seeing it. They may be deceived by their own familiarity. Yes, there's this awareness. Then there's, for a lot of people, some kind of quantification right. where they track or they pay attention. And then there's something where they shift out of even all those other two realms before it. And it's like they become this new person. Mm-hmm. But there's first the awareness that something is wrong. Some people don't even get to that stage, right? right like you're talking about. So are there ways that people can identify yeah. when there may be disconnected from that awareness in terms of like uh, physical health in terms of specificity around how they feel how mm-hmm. they perform or how they look people can do this and this is powerful going on a retreat outside of their environment like a like a, a meditation or yoga or juice kind of cleansing type of retreat that's a powerful way to immediately become aware of what's going on because you're out of your environment you're you're adopting a different lifestyle and eating pattern so by changing your pattern, it interrupts the old pattern. This is awesome because there's a section in your book and you talk about this when it comes to consumption and you say it's important that everyone on the healing path has the experience of cleansing from all animal products for at least two to four years, depending on personal factors Mm -hmm. for reintroducing high quality animal products. Once they've cleaned their body, they can be aware of sensitivities and of digestion or whatever it is. We can apply this meat piece that you're doing where we take out the meat to anything in life. To anything. Right? No, absolutely. Why do you feel like for animal products that people at some point in their life need two to four years off? This is I'm so glad you brought this question up. So what has become super obvious to me, because also I am working in the fields of disease and, and cancer and diabetes and and I've tracked the experiences of hundreds of people over the years. And I'm I'm some of my mentors are some of the leading figures in in some of these these alternative health fields who are, who are your mentors like Tell dr us. gabriel cousins david wolf uh, dr brian clement yeah. these are all people that i've personally spent time with i'm friends with or i've interviewed and they've given me their experience i've i've devoured all their information Do they share your sentiments with the break of the animal products too? well they 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 david definitely does the other two are stout vegans and they have been for 40 to 50 years and that's their mission though like it's very clear when I look at them, I look like that's their that's their karmic mission. That's part of their message and why they're here on the planet. Yeah. And what's interesting about both of them, and I've interviewed both of them on this, they're not actually dogmatic. They're both scientists, but that's their it's something deeper than that. It's like that's part of their personal ethic. And so it's it's very it's kind of an interesting thing to identify that in somebody. Opposed to just labeling like, oh, it's 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 hard to be dogmatic for fifty years. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like yeah. at some point you have to 
you have to kind of grow out of that. So biochemically taking this break, is it almost like all roads lead to us taking that pause and then we decide which road we choose. So after I really want to. I really want to um, answer your question because I've been waiting for someone to ask me this question. Let's go there. So we have to realize that we were all raised on a Holocaust diet. We were raised on basically food and talk, basically toxins that had virtually no nutrition, and we're still alive, which is a miracle and a testament to the human body. But we really, it's like almost like we were raised on a Holocaust diet. What do you and, mean by that? What does that mean, Holocaust diet? Well, if you look at the animal agricultural system that that we have, the animals that have been slaughtered and really tortured realistically and put on our tables to eat growing up, the factory farm animals and the dairy products, like it's horrendous what has happened to to these sentient creatures and there's a huge chain there's a systematic karmic effect that starts all the way to the amazon rainforest that they're clearing out all the the wildlife and clearing out all the forests so they can grow genetically modified soy and then they can ship that over to sick animals and feed that to them and then they produce methane gas which is probably the biggest contributor to the greenhouse um, gas situation environmentally then they're antibioticizing them they're there i mean the things that go on in these factory farm situations are truly yeah um, horrendous. And I don't... These are CAFOs, right? Controlled yeah, animal feeding operations exactly. where they're contributing to the broken part of the fast food industry that I despise. That's right. So we're in alignment there. I do believe though, it is possible to harvest animals in what I mentioned before, a very humane way. Yeah. So, so let I me think- let me just finish this train of thought and then because I want to complete where that statement comes from. Go for it. So yes, there's all that part of it. Then we realize that we've been eating this way Almost every day of our life, the level of toxicity, the level of partially hydrogenated rancid oils, the level of just gunk in the system is so massive that it actually takes at least a couple years for every month that we've put something or no, let me let me rephrase that for every year that we've eaten that way, it takes at least a month of cleansing away from that stuff to effectively clear out the debris in the body through the detox portals. Like our body literally has to reawaken to itself in order to kind of come back online because it's just basically been turned um, numb. So with detoxification then, in Mm -hmm. in this same conversation, how long should someone detox? Let's say that they're eating high quality meats and high quality foods. How well, long would the detox take? Okay, so that's that's a great great pivot. So what I would say to that and it's unique to the it's unique to somebody's situation as far as like the level of detox. And what are there other sources of of toxins that are coming in? Yeah, so what's so their the, environment? So the basic answer for all of us here is that we need to make cleansing and detoxing part of our lifestyle. It's actually, you know, like take radiation, for example. It's not a question if we're breathing in radioactive isotopes. That has been happening since 1986, since the Chernobyl incident happened in Russia, not to mention what's going on in Fukushima. Fukushima. And that's still going on. Which that's is crazy. Co- it's, it's on crazy levels. And so you can, when it comes to radiation, you can't see it. 
you can't taste it and you can't touch it. You can't smell it. You need a Geiger counter to detect it. So it's a better assumption to just assume that it's affecting us. And what can we do about all this stuff? We can incorporate detoxification tools like activated charcoal, like zeolite powders, like highly mineralized food because when we're properly mineralized, it helps to push out the radioactive minerals, the toxic minerals like toxic iodine, um, for example, that can, that can get into our thyroid gland if we don't have the right amount of natural iodine. So if we properly nourish ourselves with whole foods and high quality, highly mineralized foods, we have enough superfoods in our diet, like in a superfood smoothie or something, and then we have certain detoxification things um, or designer detox products in our lifestyle, we're drinking enough high quality water to dilute mm-hmm. and um, uh, hydrate then we're stacking the odds in our favor. And that's kind of where I'm coming from in that answer. There's a lot of nuances and a lot of strategies you can do, but what can the basic person do right Right. now to just take care of themselves in this crazy world? And I think a lot of people are like, what the hell? Ronnie's saying that all these things are broken in the world, which they are. However, don't focus on the fact that they're broken. Let's just, as you said, course correct and understand there are things within our control. Mm -hmm. You and I directly sitting here in this interview cannot impact the rainforest in entirety, but we can do our little piece. And so having the quality food choices, whether it's animals, plants, nuts, or seeds, getting them from trusted sources. Yes. That's a big deal. How would you define a trusted source? A trusted source, I would say is a source that you've sourced out to know where the source is. So like one of the parts we were talking about in the earlier part of this conversation was the oxidation rate of food. And and one of the points I wanted to conclude that on is you know that it's going to take a certain amount of time for that food to get to your grocery store and get to you. You can you can bypass that middleman and go straight to your farmer's market. And you can talk to the person themselves and ask them questions. I picked it this morning. <laughs> right? And right? that's usually the case with organic farmers that yeah. show up at the, I mean, the, the, the way the, the level of work that they put in, they deserve not only our dollar, but they deserve us to drive out wherever we need to on a Sunday morning to get a week's supply of food that is going to last longer because it probably was picked a day earlier or that morning and it's going to be way higher quality Mm. and you're going to get it for cheaper. There's something in your book that came up for me right now. You wrote built into the ground of a problem is the very seeds of solutions. Can you tell us about that? So built into built into any problem is the seed of its very solution. And that is a loose quote from Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. And it really relates to this idea. It's like in um, The Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. When you open up that book, it says it was the worst of times. It was the best of times at all times. And that is such an important point of view to always remember is that we can yo-yo from one extreme to the other. We can go from like total esotericism where everything is like it's uh, blissful and everything is perfect. And then we can swing to the other side of it. But eventually the pendulum meets in the middle of equilibrium and we realize we're actually honest about what the problems are. And then also, if we recognize a problem in the world and it, it jars us, it triggers us, that's triggering something that we care about. That's telling us that wow, I care about that. 
So I'm actually being called to step up and be a solution opposed to complain about the problem. Mm. And the connection with that is everyone's got their own battle. Everyone's got their own journey. Mm -hmm. And every war calls its own soldiers. And that's why I can't say everybody should be a vegan or everyone should be a raw food or everyone should be a a meat eater. Like it's so unique to them. And I realize being a vegetarian is just part. I just I just resonate with the yogi philosophy and the Hindus. I, 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 in the Buddhist, like that just resonates with me that in a way that that may not resonate with someone else. And that's okay. Not only is it okay, but it's also, I think, part of the human design element of our species. Yes. It's, it's how we have different flavors and tastes and mm. cultures. It's how everything blends together. Without that, what would we do if we all had the same opinion? Which is why it's been so great to have you on the show to bring in this new perspective Mm -hmm. that I guarantee we will get people writing emails about because there are stout food camps out there. Totally. And what Ronnie's talked about on the show today that's been so powerful is get out of the camp and get into your body. Yeah, and get into your heart. Get into your heart and start finding out like what really works for you. This is the last part of the show. You didn't know I was going to do this to you. It's seven fast questions. Ronnie, are you ready? Awesome. Let's go. What's one of the biggest misconceptions out there right now in 2017 about raw food? That it's going to make you weak. It's going to make you infertile. It's going to throw out your hormones. It's going to make you um, neurologically incapable and whatever other, th- it's, you know, it's, you're not going to be, have any energy and you're going to be sick. When we look at people that have a limited budget, how do they give themselves permission to move money towards healthy things and away from things that are actually blocking them from their wellness? You have to be really honest about your value system and your priorities and start to take a step back and look at where you're expending your resources and there's, there's layers to that. Um, but just with what you have available to you right now, what you need is always available. It's always, it's a closer than you think it is, but sometimes you have to take a step back in order to see where you've been wasting energy or resources and where you can redistribute it. There's an internal narrative for a lot of people and it's around, I don't want to spend money on healthy food because I have all these responsibilities. You don't understand, Ronnie. You don't understand, Josh. I have responsibilities. How do you feel? Who pays the price when someone doesn't choose to eat the fuel that their body deserves? Who actually pays the price beyond just them? That person pays the price. Their children pays the price. Their spouse pays the price. The planet pays the price. Um, everybody that they come in contact pays the price because they're not going to be the best version of themselves. Therefore, their their ROI, their ripple of impact is not going to be as great as it could be. So literally everybody pays the price for the excuses that each one of us makes. You have mentioned in a video, we'll link in the show notes that you're a voice. What is that voice, Ronnie? Like, why are you here? I believe that I'm a voice for a message and that message needs more voices and the message changes. It changes as I change, but I believe that I'm here to be a symbol for the message. Therefore, congruency, integrity, and alignment of my personal values in my life are my dharmic work in order for me to fulfill that uh, that mission. There's a chapter in your book, which it's one of my favorites, and it was the future of nutrition. And with the future of nutrition, we look at this black hole that people can go down. There's the age of technology. What do you think the future of nutrition is as technology rises up? I think the future of nutrition is coming back to common sense. So I think technology can be used to support 
the reemergence of common sense, which is getting back to the basics. And the future of nutrition is like high octane fuel, where you need you need a lot less to get a lot more out of. Therefore, when you have more energy and you feel better about yourself and you're in your body, you can get more out of your body. Therefore, you don't need to distract yourself with all these, I guess, substances that that really take away from why we're here on the planet. And, and, and nutrition, by the way, is a technology. Fasting is a technology just because it doesn't have just you don't need to microchip yourself. To, 100 percent. Like all these things, all these these things that we're talking about are technologies to get an intended result. Technology is the hieroglyphics. Mm. I mean, anything we use that's in intelligence, yeah. whether it's emotional or physical, is technology. Right. So this is really awesome, too, because how much technology exists in the ocean? Right. And you talk about this in your book where the ocean will be such a great way for us to source food in the future. What are we getting from the ocean in the future that possibly could be polluted right now? How yeah. are we going to fix this? Like, are we really yeah. going to be eating from the ocean in 50 years? One thing we know about free energy technology and suppressed technologies is that we have all the technology to remediate the soil of the earth. We have all the technology that can repair the damage of inappropriately used unconscious technologies and fossil fuel technologies and the acidification of the ocean, we can actually repair it. And I do believe that is going to happen. And so I'm very optimistic about that. And so what we're getting from the ocean is the source of all life. All the trees, their rooting system digs down into the ocean, and that's where the minerals are mined out of. So the minerals are the master catalysts for, they're the master nutrients. We talk about the power of nutrients, we're really talking about the power of minerals, and that they all primarily come from the ocean. All the omega-3s come from the plankton that comes from the ocean. Mm. The ox- 90% of the oxygen comes from plankton and marine phytoplankton, which comes from the ocean. So it's really life Life as a whole is, is what comes from the ocean. And I know there's tools out there. I've seen that there's like a 12-year-old kid that invented a way to scrub the ocean and heal the pollution. There's tools that are coming out every day. So I'm like you. I'm optimistic. Mm-hmm. I think that we will be able to heal this, but only if there's the dialogue in that direction. Totally. So this is the last question, Ronnie. You have delivered so much value today. Like you have talked about so many things that I don't think we've ever explored on the show. So this has been great. But where you are now and, mm-hmm. and everything you've learned, what's wellness to you in your life now? How do you define wellness? Well, mm, to me, and I think it comes back to something that we had said earlier, the moment I realized that I had forgot that I was ever in pain was probably the first moment I felt well. And so for me, wellness has to do with has to do with feeling in alignment. And that's mind, body, spirit, and emotional health is in there also. It's being congruent. It's being in alignment. It's feeling like I'm in total integrity and I'm fully alive in my body. I may not be perfect in my body, but I'm fully alive in my body. My soul is speaking to me I'm and I'm listening to the that voice that's telling me about the next step to take and I'm actually doing it. Mm. When I'm in full alignment, that's when I feel like I'm at my wellest. 
Such a signature answer. I would not expect anything less. Ronnie Landis, you can learn more about Ronnie's book, The Inner Alchemy Youthening Program at HolisticHealthMastery.com. But what are you most excited about for this year? Where should people go if they want to dig into what you've been talking about? RonnieLandis.net. And the Holistic Health Mastery Program is my online holistic nutrition certification program. You can definitely go to those resources. I have a YouTube channel. And I also have a podcast, which we just did an interview with you, which was amazing. Which was awesome. so awesome. And uh, people can find that either on iTunes or they can just go straight to my website and the podcast is available there. There's some incredible guests. You've interviewed Dr. John Gray, Mm -hmm. Dr. John Demartini, and there's a great sharing of energy and of interest Mm -hmm. between your community and the Wellness Force community. So this was really special to have you on the show. Mm. Thanks for coming on, Ronnie. My pleasure, brother. Thanks for having me. Hey, my friend, thank you for hanging out and growing with me on today's show. Remember to hit subscribe, share this podcast with somebody you care about that you think gets to hear this message. Support the show by leaving a five-star review for the podcast right now, simply by tapping on your show artwork on your iPhone. Click that purple link that says review this podcast. It helps the show reach more conscious and smart people like you, and your voice will attract more world-class guests that want to come on the show. So let them hear your voice. For all the downloads, videos, links, and free resources mentioned on the episode, go to wellnessforce.com forward slash radio. And while you're at my house on the web, join us in the Wellness Force community newsletter on that page, and I'll send you four free guides around staying healthy with your eating, moving, and sleeping while you travel. Join a group of people like you over at the Wellness Force community Facebook page. This is where we talk about the things that really matter. We share our wins, inspirations, struggles, and a lot more. So join us, tap on the show artwork on your phone, and hit that purple link that says join the Facebook group, and I will welcome you at the door. Okay, now you get to go out into your world and create impact for the people that you care about. So until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.